Living Streams, good to be with you. Thanks for coming on this cold morning. It's freezing out there, right? <laughs> A lot of people are like, you Phoenicians, you know nothing of cold. Well, it's true, so I'm not worried about it. Um, this is a whole group of people right here that, um, yeah, last week we sent out the gurneys. We prayed for them, Brandon and Carrie, and they actually shoved off. They're going to be with their family for the holidays, and then they're heading down to Ecuador for at least a year to be a part of our sending out of long-term missionaries. Um, and we want to send 50 of them from our little church family uh, between now and 2025. 20, uh, and so... Here's some more, you know, they just keep coming and it's like, great, awesome, just keep leaving, everybody. <laughs> the idea was great when I first was thinking of it, but now we're having to live with it and it's beautiful, it is beautiful. But this is Alec and Colleen, Colleen is the one who sang a lot this morning, yeah. <laughs> Alec, there's a reason we don't let him sing, um, no, he sings too, but uh, Alec is in charge of all the dreads around here. And Colleen's in charge of seizing. But they are going to be taking their talents down to South Beach. Um, not Florida, but someplace that actually we're not really supposed to disclose um, where they're going because of the um, laws of the land and all of that. But they're going to be headed to a place. And they're going to have a table out in the back um, that they would love to give you some more details on where they're going and how you can help and pray and all of that. But, um, yeah, they're a treasure. Alex, our youth pastor, and since he's leaving, we now have a transition that needs to be taken care of, and that's where um, these other guys come in. Eddie, you know, uh, we introduced a few weeks ago. He's overseeing our student ministries department, and I'll let Alec share a little bit of what they're doing and then introduce Isaiah down on the end. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Yeah, we, we would love it if you guys uh, just want to hear a little bit more about what we're going to be up to this next year um, and want to figure out maybe how you could partner with us. We'd love to, if you would just stop by our little table after service, and uh, and we can chat a bit. But uh, this guy over here, this is uh, this is Isaiah Gomez. Um, he's been working uh, in the youth uh, since the summertime, and I'm really excited uh, just to let you guys know that he's the guy who's going to be uh, picking up the torch and uh, and replacing me in high school. Um, and and one of the things that has really stuck out to me, that's been really crystal clear about this guy from the get go, is that he genuinely loves your students. Um, there's a lot of people who love ministry and a lot of people who love, you know, being a youth pastor. And he's just really excited to love your students and he loves them with the love of Jesus. And uh, he's got a he's got a background working in foster care. And one of the things that really stands out about this guy is when situations get really messy, he just has wisdom right from the Lord. So I'm really excited that he's going to be the guy. Uh, who's going who's gonna to carry on the trajectory of the youth group, who's going to really see some growth and some maturity, um, and he's got a solid team around him, so I'm excited. Uh, and I'm going to give Isaiah an opportunity to just share a little bit about his heart for the youth group. Thank you for <laughs> hyping me up. Um, so, yeah, I'm really thankful and excited and humbled uh, with this opportunity. I didn't see it coming when I first came here, so David kind of reeled me in, and um, I love it, and so... Uh, I'm coming for your job next. I'm just <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Sounds good. It was, it was 18 years ago that I stood up here and Mark commissioned me as youth pastor. So watch no, out. Watch out. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, but yeah, like Alex said, I work with foster youth and youth in, uh, age out of the system. So that's a huge heart I have. And it's been cool to see how that's come together here at Living Streams. It's kind of a melting pot in the youth group with different socioeconomic backgrounds and kids from different cultures and just love each other and worship together. 
And at this past winter camp, I got to see just the spirit move. And so that was exciting, getting the torch and all the momentum from all the love that Alec has got uh, given to the students. And they're going to miss him, and they love him, and they trust him. So that's why it's easier for me. And um, we just were working on to um, equip, build, and ignite the students mm -hmm. and um, equipping them with scripture and truth, building them with community and resources, and then hoping that they understand their purpose and ignite them for their passions and stuff in the future. Yeah. And now Eddie's going to pray for me. Yeah, Eddie, why don't you pray for us? <laughs> Let's make it less awkward. Uh, if you guys could just extend your hands, please, as we pray for Isaiah and commission him out. Lord, we are so thankful that we are recipients of your grace. Yes, Lord. And we lift up Isaiah to you this morning as he's called to be your servant, as we all are. And as he carries the torch and carries your banner into the youth ministry, we pray that you would surround him with godly men who would continue to sharpen him and be there for him as he steps into this new role. God, as he continues to move forward. I pray that he would put his hands to the plow and not look to the right or to the left, but move forward, continuously pursuing after you and your things. I pray that he would develop a hunger and desire for your word and just want to study it, want to know it more. We pray against any tilting of your word, God, and that he would just speak truth so that these young people would know their true identity. God, we pray that uh, Isaiah would be an example of Ezra, Lord, that he would know your word, that he would apply your word, that he would teach your word, God. And as he steps forward, Lord, continue to give him the grace that he needs. Continue to be the plentiful resource for his grace and for his mercy, God. We thank you for all these things that you do and how you've equipped us to serve you. We lift them up in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys. Yeah. It's, it's good stuff. The family's growing, and the family's sending some out, and it's good and healthy and right. And, uh, yeah, I'm very grateful to be a part of Living Streams. I tried to actually get Alec to cut his dreads and then pass them on to Isaiah. It was like the mantle being passed, but he didn't go for it. And, uh, but... But yeah, it was. It was 18 years ago that I took a job at this church called Living Streams and started being the youth pastor. And uh, I am so grateful for this church family and what it's um, done in my life, been in my life, and how it's cared for me and my family. No doubt about that. But um, today, we are going to jump into our second part of this this beautiful heart, we've been looking at the heart of Jesus. We've been trying to study what does it mean to be Christ-like? What does it mean, um, to the, the character of Christ? How can it be expressed? And we've adopted this concept of, of these four hearts, the humble heart, the servant heart, the grateful heart, and the generous heart. If you want to sum up what it means to be Christ-like, I think those words really do um, a, a good job of it. And so we're going to be looking at grateful and generous today. Um, but as we come to the end of a the year, there's always a couple things that come up. One is obviously Christmas, and uh, I, I want to encourage you guys to invite people to our December services. 
There's going to be four Sundays before Christmas, um, and we're going to kind of house everything in a little bit of an Advent feel, so a little bit of kind of ancient historical feel to Christmas. We're going to join with saints around the world as well as saints in the past and this, this concept of Advent, the appearing of Christ and what he brought with his appearing um, and the teachings. We got it all planned out. It's going to be great. And then our Christmas Eve service. Oh, yeah. It was like, yeah. We were thinking about it. We were like, oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm excited about what's going to happen there. It's just going to be a worship night. And uh, we're just going to be looking at the face of Jesus, looking at the character of Christ, and, and really, you know, seeing Christ appear um, before us in history and in Bethlehem and even what's coming. So um, it'll be a great night. <clears throat> but really invite people the next four Sundays that don't know the light and warmth of Christ. They're probably willing to come. Um, if somebody invites them, and, uh, and we're going to really be making sure and, and we'll speak to them in these next four and give them an opportunity to start a relationship with Jesus. So come on, church, let's do our thing. Jesus said, go make disciples. It's always scary and weird. Hey, you want to go to church with me? But just don't be weird. Just be normal. And then take them to lunch afterwards or whatever, and we'll see what the Lord might do. But also at the end of the year, I think about Christmas, and with Christmas, I also start to think about finances, <laughs> because it's expensive sometimes when you have kids and a wife that loves gifts, you know, all the time. And so, um, but no, I'm not talking about personal finance, but here around the church, we have to do a year-end budget. We, we kind of account for the year of 2019, and then we start p trying to get a budget for 2020 approved, and we did. On Wednesday, we got our 2020 budget approved by the elders. And uh, it wasn't even like pulling teeth. They actually asked a question. They're like, are you sure you're going big enough? I was like, man, we worked so hard to get this thing. Don't open it up again. But it was awesome, the heart that they have. And uh, we are. We're excited about 2020. When they heard what we have cooked up, what we're, what, we're, what we're going for, they were like, this sounds great. No problem. Let's approve this budget. And, uh, and so we want to finish this year well and then head into the next year with a full head of steam. Um, but all of that good picture for 2019 um, looks like this. We have given about $250,000 to support missions and ministries in Phoenix and around the world. We've been able to do some much-needed upgrades around our campus, including renovation in the kids' ministry, installing a new elevator. What's up? What's up? Yeah, it's so quiet. It's, it's awesome. Um, and then we did super exciting stuff like electrical and IT upgrades. Yeah. Any IT guys out there? What's up? What's up? Um, not many. Um, they were at the 830 service. <laughs> um, we have a couple of projects already funded, thanks to the generosity of Living Streams, but they're still in process. Um, we're getting a real uh, good architectural master plan around here. And, uh, and then we're also turning the far west building of our campus into a beautiful youth facility um, to house what the Lord's going to be doing there in our youth. And with all of that, we've been able to carry a two-month operational reserve, which is like an emergency fund for us, and we've paid all our bills. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just on that note, we owe $2.8 million on this property, which is a number that they say it, and it just is like, Cool. I mean, it means nothing to me. It's just big and large and like the ocean. Um, but the reason that it doesn't stress me out at all is because literally we pay our mortgage of, on that $2.8 million to the First Baptist Foundation 
that is the people we brought the church from here. And they use all of the money that we give to fund ministries and missions and church planting. So it's like, it's like the golden mortgage, you know? It's like all the money we put in there, boom, goes out. And those people, a lot of them are still a part of our church that were originally there in the first baptism. And they've allowed us to add two more people to the board there. So, I mean, it's just amazing, the favor of the Lord in all of this process. So we are rejoicing, we are grateful, we are thankful, and we have plans to just really be generous in the years to come. However, there's one exception. We've been down in our contributions for the last two months, leaving us with a projected year-end shortfall of about $50,000. Now, there's no alarms going off. Like, that's not that big a deal. We're nonprofit, so if we hit zero, we're like, oh, yeah, we're awesome. That was so great. Um, whereas if you run a real business and you hit zero, you're like, oh, no. Um, so it's not that big a deal, but that is a reality of what we're doing. Our attendance has continued to increase. Our contributions are up from last year which is great news, but these last two months have dipped. So if you're a part of the Living Streams family and you've felt like this family has been beneficial to you and yours, um, we do ask that you'd give. And uh, if you haven't been given, if maybe you get back on that train, um, but, but that's where we're at. And uh, this is the caveat, and this is what's going to lead us into our message today. You are only allowed to give. Now hear me. Hear me, cynical people who think the church is just money grubbers. There might be a few in here. This is the way the Lord said, this is what this is the Bible says. You are only allowed to give as the Lord directs you and to the extent that your heart can remain cheerful in its giving. So if you're not cheerful about giving, we don't want your uncheerful money. <laughs> Just give it to somebody else, whatever. Seriously. That's, that's what the Bible says. Now, that's a little scary because we've been down. We don't know what's going to happen. But that is the absolute truth. This is not a push for money. This is... A report on where our family's at. And if you can cheerfully give, hey, cheerfully give. If not, we'll adjust. No problem. We're not worried about it. God's in control. But keep it cheerful. Keep it cheerful. And really, that does bring us to our message today about this grateful heart and this generous heart. And we're done talking about Living Streams finances. Nothing I'm saying going forward is about Living Streams finances. It's about your heart. It's about the way that you interact with the world. It's about Jesus trying to cultivate in us the kind of heart that will kill anxiety and worry in our lives. Did you hear what I said? The way of Jesus is hard. It's not normal for us. It's against the grain of our flesh. But the purpose of the way of Jesus is to create you to be someone that doesn't carry anxiety and worry and fear the way the world does. So you get to decide if you're going to follow the way of Jesus or not. My job is just to help us see the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus really is to cultivate in us a grateful heart and a generous heart. So let's read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, and begin to figure out what this grateful heart is. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than the clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying on a single, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Why are you so troubled in your faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So here is Jesus, right? Jesus, walking in our world. Not walking in 21st century Phoenix, Arizona. Walking in 1st century Jerusalem and the regions around there that is impoverished oppressed, taxed to, to an extent where they don't really own anything. They don't own property. They don't have any rights. They're not Roman citizens. And when he's saying things like, don't worry about clothes and eating, he's talking to people that might have really not been sure what they were going to eat the next day or if they were even going to get a meal that day. And for us in our world, it's getting a little cold, and most of us aren't thinking, will we have a coat for winter? We're thinking more like, will it be on trend? You know, how sick is it going to be? You know, what color looks good on me? Does it have that spot? Can I remove the spot? That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> but when Jesus is saying, don't worry about what you're going to wear, he's talking to people. They don't know if they're going to have anything warm when it gets cold. And it's so hard for us to grasp this because we think of first century like, you know, it's just like all the Christmas plays that are coming up. You know, they got the big wrong robes and it's like they're really worried about their robes. Yeah, there was like worn out robes and there was newer robes. And then there was like cool robes and then there was like mm, the one grandma made. <laughs> Not if you're a grandma, you make great stuff, I'm sure. But those grandmas back then, eh, you know, it was a little fun. <laughs> Um, and so they had some of these things, but their concerns were probably a little different than ours, if you know what I mean. Um, and some of you in this room, you might literally be in those spots where you don't know where the food's going to come from. You don't know where the clothes are going to come from. For your kids, you're not even worried about yourself, you're worried about the loved ones. And the reason I bring that out is because I want you to know that Jesus' words are not just speaking to rich people. They should share a little more. He's not just speaking to middle-class people. Yeah, you should be grateful, but you should also be gentle. He's also speaking to and primarily speaking to those who have nothing. So his words apply in all different contexts. Even to those who have nothing, they're not supposed to worry. They're not supposed to be afraid. And those of you who may be in this season or have had seasons where you really were impoverished and without and experiencing the pain and sting of lack, in those moments, Jesus' words are still there. Don't worry. 
don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything. And it's troubling in those moments to hear the words of Jesus. They come as a heavy blow. But it is if you don't understand where Jesus is coming from. Because Jesus had a lens of the world, an accurate lens because he made the world, the lens of abundance, that the world is full of abundance, that God is a generous, generous God. And when he's saying things like consider the lilies, consider the birds, he's hearkening back to the biblical narrative that many of these would have been known and familiar with in, in, in Judaism because in Genesis what we have is we have an account of God making the world. It's very different than the other creation accounts that were around at that time. But in this account you have a God who in some ways is acting like a host and he's preparing a place for a party to happen. And he goes to this place and he repairs it. It was without form and void and he creates this, this environment, this space. And then he invites these guests to it. And then we have words like, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And he filled it with light. But he didn't just put a sun there and say, well, the sun's just going to be there beating on you all the time. But he said, I'm going to make a sun and then I'm going to make a night time and a moon. You're going to get to see the difference and feel the difference. And not only that, but I'm going to create all the stars. And we have not still, with all of our technology and sophistication, we have come nowhere close to plumbing the expanse of the cosmos. How generous and elaborate this host is. We're not even going to see so many of the details that he made for us. Even if we spent every waking moment trying to study the detail of the cosmos, we would never grasp. How infinite almost is elaborate detail for us. And then he goes and he not only does that, but he creates all the plants. You got these plants. They're all over the place. He didn't just create like apple tree, banana tree. Have at it. Enjoy yourself. You know, you want a banana? Go get a banana. You want an apple? You want an apple. Sorry. You want strawberry? There ain't no strawberry. No, he... I mean, just this lavishness. I mean, there's plants that, that don't produce much. There's plants that produce a lot. There's plants you can eat. There's plants you can't eat. There's all kinds of different things. So elaborate. And then bugs? What? I mean, thanks, but no thanks. Cool, but eh. But then my wife's uncle is a bug guy. That's what he does. He's a professor and he studies bugs. He loves bugs. He loves the weird ones. God made so many bugs for him. I mean, the generosity, the, the, the lavishness, the extreme. He didn't make bird and fish. So it's like you go to science class. It's like, okay, class, today we're going to study the bird. And it's like, there's one bird, it's a pigeon. Study it, awesome, done. I mean, that would still be amazing if there was one bird. But, I mean, there's countless amounts of birds. There's even birds that have gone extinct. We don't even know them. And fish of the sea. And Jesus is saying, look at the creation around you. You need to see, little children, that your father has given you so much. Amen. He cares for you so much that you are a guest and in his home and he is a super generous host. He's cared for every detail there could ever be. After first service, someone came up to me, they're like, I just found this, this 
it's a bug. It's a praying mantis, but it's a praying mantis that actually is, is like, it's a lily. What is it, lily? East, not lily. I don't know what it is. It's some sort of flower praying mantis. It looks just like a flower, but it's praying mantis and it'll kill you. And they were like, look at it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so amazing, this lavishness. And so that's why Jesus is saying, look at the birds. They're, they don't worry about what they're going to get, and yet they get what they need. Look at the flowers of the field. They're not out there like, oh, man, what am I going to wear? They're, they're just blossoming. They're just soaking up the light and the soil that God provides. And what it produces in them is this beauty, this beauty that takes our breath away. And it's so temporary even. And Jesus is wanting his people, his followers, to understand this, this, this lens of abundance because there's another lens, the lens of scarcity. And basically, as Jesus harkens back to the story, what happened is he put mankind in there to enjoy all of the creation and to further that, to use that resource that was there and further the abundance. And yet a little lie came in to Adam and Eve's heart and mind. And basically, the challenge was, I think God's holding out on you. I think you better take matters into your own hands. I think if you don't take something, you're going to miss something. And all of a sudden, there was this little lie of scarcity that came in. And basically, all of our sins, everything we do is founded in that one little root that God can't be trusted, that God's holding out, that we should take matters into our own hands. And what we do is we put on the lens of scarcity. And what does it create in our lives? Worry, anxiety, fear, greed, envy. And what Jesus is trying to teach us and being with Jesus and following the teachings of Jesus and walking in the way of Jesus, what it creates is the exact opposite, the grateful heart and the generous heart. And as we walk in these things, the reason Jesus wants us to learn these things and walk in these things is because these things actually eat anxiety and worry and fear and envy and greed. If we can bask in the abundance of God and create that grateful heart, what will happen is these things will not be able to take root in our lives. And if we can begin to practice this generosity in the world and furthering the abundance, God is abundantly given to us, so we abundantly give, it'll start to eat and kill anxiety and worry and fear and greed and envy in our world. It's powerful stuff what teach, Jesus teaches. I mean, when I first read this and think about it, I think it's just Jesus, some little you know, hippie Jesus. He's got his long flowing hair and he's like got a little flower thing right here and he's just like touching all the flowers. He's going, consider the lilies of the field, my friend. And I, that's not Jesus. What he's teaching here is like subversive. What he's teaching here is some sort of deep well from the dawn of time that's coming to take over and destroy the lack. Sorry, I can get this thing to turn off. It's powerful stuff that he's trying to cultivate in us. And I, I wrote these things down to try and sum up the grateful heart. A grateful heart is free from the fear of scarcity, which produces greed. 
And it's expressed this way. If you have it, then I won't get any. If I have it, then I can control who gets what. And Jesus wants to free us from that. A grateful heart is free from the sin of envy. It learns to rejoice when others get even when we're overlooked for that position and it's gone to somebody else. It's not that you're like, oh yeah, that's awesome, I love it, great, great, bro, it's great, great, you know, all the time. It, but it's, it's, it's taking the sting of that and then, and, then, and, then, and then applying it into this grateful, generous heart and what happens is, is you start to go, hey God, I know that that was not the best thing for me and it's the best thing for them. Therefore, I'm going to pull back and be excited about what you have in store for me. Do you understand that? It's free from envy and coveting. If you have it, then I am worthless is what the American dream teaches us. We are what we possess. And if you have it, then I must be worthless. But if I have it, then I have worth. And that's so anti-Christ and the way that he's teaching us to live. And then a grateful heart is free from the anxiety of ownership. <laughs> There's a book by A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of Holiness. And he has this chapter called The Blessedness of Possessing Nothing. And I will never read that chapter. <laughs> but I just think, wow, what an amazing concept. And when you look at the life of Christ, that's what it was. He had nothing. He didn't even know where he was going to lay his head. And yet he was free from worry and strife. And he gave so much, so much impact in our world from possessing nothing. And in that biblical narrative, I, I don't want us to miss that in all of that abundance, we responded with distrust of God. And we instead put on that lens of scarcity and, and walked in that and, and it caused this great change to happen in our world. And now there is this scarcity and that's where wars and, and all these challenges come from. And God's wanting us to live as people that once again use the resource that he's given us to further his goodness instead of make it all ours. And in that response, in our ugly response to his abundant generosity, we, we kept it for ourselves or took what we wanted and distrusted God. And God's response to us wasn't, well, you all are horrible and you're gone. But instead, if you follow the biblical narrative, what happens is God, who was the host for this party, and we responded like that, he said, well, if you don't get it in all the abundance that I've created for you, Maybe you'll understand how much I love you if I give you my own son, right? And he gave his own son. And Paul says in Romans chapter 8, words like, if he who was willing to give his own son, if he who was willing to give his own son gave him to you, how will he not be willing to give you everything you could ever need? Consider the creation and all that God has given to us. And then if that's not enough, consider that God gave his own son to be pinned to a tree so that we could know the full expression 
of his love and care for us. And let that produce in us gratitude. No matter what's happening in your life, that is wonderful. And as that produces that gratefulness in your heart, then turn and be generous. You can see how the two work together. So that's a grateful heart. That's what we're trying to cultivate. And actually, for our life groups, we have this special video from BibleProject.org. Um, thanks, Dan. And uh, it's, it's a really cool video that unpacks this a little bit. And if you're not in a life group, that's fine. You can go to BibleProject.org and look up Abundance as well. But they do a great job of unpacking this. Um, so then the generous heart. So we got this grateful heart that the Lord's trying to cultivate in us. What does it look to have a generous heart? If you'll turn with me to 2 2 Corinthians 9, we get a little passage here to help us unpack this. 2 Corinthians 9. This is kind of funny the way Paul is writing to this Corinthian church, but the Corinthian church is actually a church where there was some affluence. Um, probably similar to what would an American church be like in some ways. But this is what Paul's teaching them about the generous heart. We'll read through it and then we'll unpack it a little bit. Re- read through a part and unpack it and keep going. So verse 1. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. For I know your eagerness to help. And I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians. Telling them that since last year you and Acacia were ready to give. And your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow. But that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not saying anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready for ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. So here, Paul, who is trying to teach and lead this Corinthian church in the way of, of Christ, um, somewhere in the communication heard that they wanted to give a gift. And they even said the amount. They promised, we want to give a gift to the church in Jerusalem where there is need and lack. And, and so we in the Corinthian church want to give towards that Jerusalem church, which is beautiful, cross-cultural. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really amazing thing for that day and age that this was going on. Testimony to what Christ can do in someone's life with gratefulness, generosity. Anyway, but it's funny the way he unpacks this. And he was like, a, a year ago, you, you were so excited. You wanted to participate. You were looking for an opportunity to be generous. You found one and said, hey, we want to give. How do we get in on that? And Paul was commending them for their eagerness, their, their, their willingness to do this. And then he says, you were even enthusiastic about it. And your enthusiasm about it, when I told the story to the Macedonians, they were like, wow, this is cool. And they even got motivated. And Paul says, I've been bragging about the, your grateful and generous heart so much so that um, I, I, actually, I actually want to send some brothers ahead of me coming to you so they can make sure <laughs> that you really are giving the gift that you have promised. Because it's been a big deal to me. I've made a big deal out of it. And now if you don't do it, it's going to be like, wah, wah. <laughs> and so he's like, but it's, I, I just sent the, sent the brother. And just conceptually think about this. So now if we want to give like to somebody in Bosnia or something, we're just like, bam. And then we can give like straight to 
places around the world immediately. It's so amazing and wonderful how we're able to give finances in particular. But for this, the way this happened was a year ago, Paul and the Corinthian church had a conversation. And they were inspired by the Spirit of God. They were inspired by the love of Christ somehow. And they said, Paul, when you told us about those people hurting in Jerusalem, we wanted to give. And we all got together. We want to give, let's just say, $100,000. I have no idea what it is. It wasn't even dollars. I know that. And, and Paul was like, wow, that's amazing. And, and so what they needed, they said, they said, it'll probably take us a year to get it together. And Paul was like, okay, so Paul continues on his missionary journeys, yada, yada, yada. They're working on this. They're still enthusiastic. They're still, Paul's like, you still want it? And they're in their correspondence. And Paul's going around telling other churches, this is really cool what these guys are doing. And, and then Paul says, but now I'm going to come collect it. And I'm going to send some brothers. Like, the amount of preparation and time and thoroughness of this is so amazing. Because then even when Paul gets the gift, he's got to carry it, you know, by ship all the way back to Jerusalem and try and avoid all the robbers and all of those things and give it to the people in Jerusalem. I mean, it's just this elaborate, elaborate process in order to give. And the amount of faithfulness that needed to happen for over a year's time and through all of that potential turmoil is a real testimony to the commitment that they had towards this. And Paul says he wants to make sure that in the end it's not a begrudging gift, but it's one that can be a generous gift. And then he says in verse 6, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. So here Paul brings out this idea of being a cheerful giver. And he says, if you're going to give sparingly and begrudgingly, then he says, you're going to receive sparingly and grudgingly. If you give generously and gratefully, you're going to receive that way. And he says that you got to make sure and continue to cultivate this cheerfulness in your giving. Because God doesn't need your money. This has never been about God needing your money to take care of the people that he wants to take care of. But you need it. You need to cultivate this. And if you want to participate, great. If you don't, no problem. God will find another way. But just remember that if you give sparingly, you're going to receive sparingly. If you give abundantly, you're going to receive abundantly. For it's God is the one who ushers all these things. And he can supply every need you have. And then in verse 10 he says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And that's where you see generosity and gratefulness coming together. In a lot of ways, it, it, it's, the process is this. As we, no matter what our situation is, no matter what our need, no matter what our lack, no matter what our challenge, if we choose to turn from that and look to the generosity of God, found in the abundance of his creation, found in the uh, indescribable gift of his son, 
and we can stay in that place. It will cultivate us a heart of gratitude and gratefulness. And then as we turn to the world that is so full of need, that gratefulness and gratitude will, will result in us wanting to be generous, eager, cheerful, ready, enthusiastic about giving, whether it's finances or something else. And what happens is as we do that, then the recipient of this gift is filled with gratitude at, at what God has produced in creation, what God gave in his son, and what God gave through you that they'll in turn be generous and ready to give. And it's basically like the Coke commercial. Buy the world a Coke, you know? It's a big campaign for them to sell more Cokes. But the concept is, you know, the little boy gives the, the, one, the, the, the Coke to the girl setting up Christmas lights, and somebody sees that, and then they're, they're, she goes and gives. She's so moved by that, she goes and gives Coke to somebody else. She's so moved by that, and I think in the end, Santa gets a Coke or something like that. And you, I mean, you can see how this happens. But, but the reason that it's so important is, is that if we don't do this, if we don't cultivate this, if we don't practice the way of Jesus and walk in these things and allow him to do this in our hearts, what we have is anxiety and fear and scarcity. I mean, those are the only options. And our world has time and time and time and time and time again resisted the way of Jesus. And what do we have? We have a world full of anxiety and fear and greed and envy. And Jesus is here to whisper to you, will you follow my way? Will you allow me in? Will you learn how to Abide in my presence and let my word abide in you so that it can produce in you and in the world gratefulness and generosity which actually can kill and overcome anxiety and worry and greed and fear and scarcity. Jesus knows what he's talking about. He knows the way to freedom. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to be with you. We want to be at your feet. We're so glad that the number one way to become more like you is just to be with you. And as you're in this moment, really trying to lean into the presence of God, there's a picture that I had going into this message. There's the picture of a fist. And it was almost like God was trying to take us from being people who, with an anxious, tight fist that is fighting so hard to retain what we have to becoming a people that have grateful, open hands, that really understand that it's in giving that we receive. Lord, I pray that you do that work in us.
that you really would make us more Christ-like. That we wouldn't seek comfort more than we seek you. Well, we're gonna, let's all stand. We'll sing a last chorus of just once again offering our heart to the Lord. And, and if you need prayer for anything, we'll have some people up here up front that'd love to pray for you. Pray about your finances if that's where you're at, whatever it might be.